It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Samsung held its Galaxy Unpacked event last week, and it officially announced the Galaxy Z Flip 5 and Z Fold 5, the Galaxy Watch 6 and Watch 6 Classic, and the Galaxy Tab 9 series of tablets. TikTok is getting into the music streaming service game, and it isn't necessarily coming for Apple Music, Spotify, or YouTube Music. Will Hollywood actors and writers strike supercharge the creator economy? And Black Tech Street and Microsoft are aiming to add 1,000 cyber professionals to the Greenwood, a.k.a. Black Wall Street area of North Tulsa by 2030. we got all this and more for you in episode 93 of The Tech John. From Columbus, Ohio, I'm your host, Rob Dunwood. And coming out of Atlanta, this is Terrence Gaines, a.k.a. Brother Tech, a.k.a. Uh, Mr. Back to School. Got my kids getting ready to go back to school uh, tomorrow while we record on Monday. So by the time you listen to this, I'll be outside taking pictures with the kids and walking back into classes and doing all the back to school stuff. We already bought shoes and backpacks and school supplies and things of that nature. And so now it's time to get them back in school. So we can add a house back to ourselves for a couple hours. Man, y'all, school starts August 1st there. Now, it's, I, I guess different states, different schedules. So you're just used to what you're used to. Well, yeah, but- they... We go back to school early and then we get out, they get out, uh, the week of Memorial Day, but they have extra breaks. So for the kids, they've got a week off for fall break. They got a week off for Christmas and New Year's. And then they get a winter break around February for another week. And then they get spring break for another week. So they've got fall break. With a week off, Christmas and New Year's for a week off, winter break for a week off, spring break for a week off. So that's why they okay. only get like two months, maybe maybe eight weeks of summer because they've got that extra winter break when most schools will use Christmas holiday as their winter break. But the key, our kids, they get off for a week of Christmas and New Year's between Christmas and New Year's and they get winter break in February. So. Okay. It's not year round, but it's damn near when for summer they only get like eight weeks off and then that's filled with like summer camp and my oldest had a job and then they the band camp. So seems like we just going all year long. It's just that <laughs> they aren't in camp no more. They're in school during the week. Right. Yeah. So no, my my youngest, we ship her off the week after next back down to North Carolina to get back in school. So we'll be, I, I, I won't say empty nesters. I'll say pseudo empty nester because still have two children to show up at the house whenever they feel like it. So we'll a couple of weeks behind where you are. But before we get into the tech, I wanted to just make sure that we let folks know how they can support the show. So if you were to head over to patreon.com forward slash the tech, John, the tech J A W N, we've got multiple tiers over there. Any one of which gets you access to our live stream and after party tech. John is a podcast, but it also is a live stream for our patrons and anyone who signs up to become a patron and supports the show gets access to that live stream and then can hang out with us for about a half hour after the show in our after party. So once again, that is, the techjohn.com forward slash Patreon or patreon.com forward slash the tech John. Either one will get you to the page. So with that, Terrence, 
there was a, a an announcement net last week, or I should say it was Samsung Unpacked event. And I know that probably most of our listeners are iPhone users, but I know that there's a lot of strong Android users out there. I, you know, I do get some notes from them. And Samsung is arguably the the strongest player in the Android game as far as just high-end devices, mid-range devices, low-end devices. They, they cover the gambit. And last week, they had their Unpacked event. Now, this one was a little different than what I'm normally used to. Normally, Unpacked events, they're held in San Francisco or somewhere, and they're based off of like U.S. hours. It'll be like an 11 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, maybe a 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. That way, you're picking up both coasts here in the United States. This one was different. I was actually planning on watching it live. Until I realized that it it started at like seven o'clock in the morning. And that's because they actually did it in Korea where Samsung is based. So I was like, oh, wow, it was probably 20, 30 minutes into it before I even realized that it was going on. Because I just assumed when I saw seven that it re- OK, that's seven Eastern. I mean, that's seven you know, Pacific time. It's going to be 10 o'clock Eastern. And it's like, no, it was seven Eastern that that thing started. So I just waited till it was done. Then I started watching it. And then I kind of understood why they probably didn't do a U.S. based event like what they normally do. Maybe they'll alternate unpacked for the foldable phones and then they'll do one that's U.S. based for like the Galaxy S series of, of devices. They announced three new devices, the Galaxy Z Flip 5. You say new, you mean new versions, new additions to their existing lineups. New new additions to their existing lineup. So a new Galaxy Z Flip 5, a new Galaxy Z Fold 5, a actually I said three is four devices, a new Galaxy Watch 6 and the Galaxy Tab S9 series of devices. And for the most part, particularly with the phones, these were very iterative. There's not a whole lot of difference between last year's devices. And this year's devices, normally I would go through and read all the specs on the new, on the new hotness that came out, but really the, the Z, the Z flip five probably received the biggest update over its last year's model, where it now has an outside screen that went from like 1.6 inches to now it is a 3.4 inch screen. So the Z flip is the one that folds like a, a you know, it's a, you know, it folds in half, mm-hmm. you know, it's a clamshell clamshell. And the entire outside screen now is the, or I should say the entire outside of one side of the phone is now a screen. So basically it's, it's a large screen. And I will say from the looks of it, it looks very, very usable. And that was one of the things that all the reviewers were saying last week, once they got their hands on it and were no longer under embargo, that it's actually a very usable outside screen. And Samsung is building widgets specifically for the use of that screen in, in, you know, in the use of your phone. But other than that, there we really you know didn't get any major updates. It's using a new processor. It's using the new Snapdragon eight generation two processor. That is the same processor that's in like the Galaxy S twenty three line of devices. So it is a very very capable processor. So this will be for something that you kind of look at it as you know it doesn't cost like a mid tier phone, but you, you know you kind of think of it as a mid tier phone. It's going to have a heck of a processor in it. And other than that. I don't think it had really any major updates. The hinge, they updated it. So it completely folds flat now, which is you know, most people are saying it's like, that's, that's cool, but there's really no reason to upgrade just for that. And then well, it's it 200 nits brighter than it was before. It depends on how much you take care of your phones uh, with this zero gap hinge to where now it can fold fully flat. There's no room for dust and debris to then sneak in there and, I don't know, maybe scratch up the screen. Because in the previous version, even though it closed, it had this little Mm -hmm. piece of space here. But now with this new one that it closes, kind of closes flat. So there's less room for anything to get in there, Um, I suppose. (laughs) Uh, I guess the ultimate question is, I mean, somebody's got to do it as far as these folding phones and this folding technology. But I guess, you know, is that are people going to go out and buy these things in droves? Are they still waiting for other players, specifically Apple, to get into the folding game? Then for people start to compare 
whether what's the folding technology, what's the hinge, what's the, you know, this is all we know right now is this, this hinge with Samsung and maybe some other carriers are doing fold foldables, but not as popular in America as Samsung. Mm-hmm. So right now we don't have nothing to compare it against. Um, I think when some other players get into the game, then we'll fully be able to compare whether or not this uh, hinge or whatever Samsung's doing for the foldable screen part, if that's, you know, any good or not, because we don't know, because this is is all we got. Right. So as far as phones that you can easily get here in the States that resemble this, Motorola has a phone out that also has the full screen on the backside. I want to say it's their second edition of their clamshell folding phone. So there's that. I want to say Oppo has one. Now, Oppo is not something that most people are going to even be aware of that, but it, they've got a really nice folding phone. And the nice thing about that Oppo one is that the hinge or the fold in the screen is barely noticeable. Samsung did say that they improved the, 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 you know, the fold in the screen. So for those who have not seen or held or touched a folding phone, you do see a crease in the phone where the phone folds on the screen. It's fairly pronounced on the Samsung devices. They say they improve this. I've heard three different reviewers say, well, I hear them saying that they've improved it, but I really can't tell. It's it's not bad or it's not worse than it was before, but it's not so much better that you actually notice that this crease is no longer really a crease, that it is definitely still the case with this. If we were to move to the Galaxy Z Fold 5, There was even less new on it. Basically, that phone got a new processor and a little bit brighter. And that is literally it. Everything else is is pretty much the same. So it was interesting. I was listening to Marquez Brownlee when he actually was doing his first impressions of these devices. And he says that we may have come to the place with Samsung to where they're treating these phones like they treat the S21 or it should say the S21 with the S series of devices like the S23. You really don't see much iteration from device to device. These are what they are. And if you start to see anything that's going to be significantly different than what these devices are, they'll probably just flat out call them a new device. It, it won't be the fold. It won't be the flip. It'll just be some new lineup Why that Samsung was to come out with. We've already established the flip and the fold. So there's folks who, I mean, there's, there's phones out there that actually, they, they have trifolds. It's, it's literally, it looks like a, the best way I can explain it. It's not really even a phone. It's more like a, like a passport. Like if you ever, if you're like, like a, like a, the size of a, like a, like a passport wallet, those things are pretty big, but you open them up and they, they actually trifold. So you, when you open the thing up, you're now getting a, a, a literally a full size tablet. Those are things that they're working on and stuff like that. I don't know that Samsung's working on that, but it's just like, it seems like this particular lineup of devices, they've been around now for four years. This is the fifth iteration of it. And from, you know, from most of the reviewers, I haven't personally played with one yet, but most of the reviewers that I've seen have said that there's not a whole lot of reason to upgrade from the four to the five, unless you just want a new phone but it's not like you're going to get new functionality with the exception of that flip five, that screen on the outside is way different on the flip five. But as far as everything else, as far as specs wise, it's just really not a whole lot, you know, new to the phone. Well, yeah, I mean, it's always the case if you have the previous generation. Now, if you don't have the previous generation, then there's all the more reason to pick the five over the four. because There is a difference, but if you've got a flip four or a fold four, yeah, same way with an iPhone 14, the next iPhone 15 coming out. You know, the rumors that I've seen, similar to this, it may have one or two bullet points that's a little bit better, but only if you want to buy the 15 after owning the 14, then that's your business. But, you know, this that's the fact that people are saying if you have the four, the flip four and the flip five, there's no reason to go to the full flip. What did I say? The tongue tied. If you got the fours, then there's no really no reason to upgrade to the five. Eh, that's par for the course nowadays. Yeah, it's really there's there's only so much you can do with a rectangular piece of glass and metal that is a computer 
in your pocket. There's just sure. only so much you can do. And I think that when you think about battery where life. yeah, battery life, but you know, where phones have come from to where they are today over the last probably three, four years, you're just not getting those. Oh, wow. This is like, I need to get this new phone because it has this thing that is so much better than the thing that I had before, or maybe the thing didn't even exist before. And that's, that's really not the case. It's now it's like, you know, it seems like the biggest leaps in phone technology are the cameras. Yeah, but that's, I guess my point is that shouldn't be a letdown to people when people say, <laughs> oh, well, it's only got uh, a larger outer screen and it's 200 nits brighter and it's got the zero hinge, but that, that ain't enough. You know, I don't even think that's a knock. It's just like that's where smartphones are right. nowadays unless there's a new way for input you know, whether it be with your eyes, I don't know, whether it be voice, you know, Siri or uh, Samsung, whatever Samsung's um, virtual assistant is, those get better. Then you can put those in a new phone to differentiate. But it shouldn't be an, a knock when, you know, I'm not saying you're saying it as a knock, but I can see people saying, well, the Flip five only has whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm like, yeah, true. But at the same time, that means they are at the limit as to where they right. can go. And now it's like a personal preference. If you've got a four, ain't really no need to get a five. If you trying to get into the fold game, then it makes sense to get the five because it's got that much better stuff. So one of the other devices that was announced was the new galaxy watch six and galaxy watch six classic essentially it's it's the same thing that you know with the with the watches that it has been with the phones if you had a five if you had a four if you had a three do you need to get one of these new johns probably not it's, it's just do you want one with the six the classic the difference is that it actually is a little bigger i want to say it's 47 millimeters uh, across this uh, across the bezel and it has a bezel that spins it actually has a wheel so they've gone back to that so for me what is that for what does that do so just think of like an aviator watch where you've actually got the bezel on the watch that you can turn like so this is actually the original galaxy watch and i can actually turn the bezel and it gives me different functionality they've put that back on there I don't know if, I, if, we, if we've talked to America and, or, and anyone else who's listened to the show about this, but I'm like into watches. That's that's one of the things that I really like. So for me, smart watches have never been a big deal to me because for me, I actually get real time pieces that are jewelry and art as much as they are functionality to allow me to see what time it is. So I did get the original Galaxy watch back in the day. And I broke my original one probably after two years of three, maybe three years of having it. And I liked it so much. I just went and got another Galaxy watch. But because I don't wear my Galaxy watch every day, I've just never felt like I needed upgrades. So I've been rocking the same the same style of watch as far as smartphone or, or smartwatches go, going all the way back to the original Galaxy watch. This six is like, oh, that's actually kind of, you know, it's kind of nice looking. I'm already thinking, okay, what kind of additional bracelets can I put on it? And I could see myself upgrading to this just because I'm using a watch that is five versions back. But once again, there's there's new stuff in it, but not so much over the five that, you know, anyone would say that you would need to go upgrade. And I think that's the case. I think that's, you know, where they are. It's just like, you know, these are devices that you get every two, three years when you decide you want a new one, not because you need some new functionality that has been announced in the new one. And then the last thing here is the Galaxy Tab S9 series. So they have a new Tab S9 that is a 11-inch device. And these devices have the same Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 for Samsung processors in them. So these are pretty beefy as far as the processors that run in these tablets. But the Tab S9 is $799 at 11 inches. The Tab S9 Plus is $999 at 12.4 inches. And then the Tab S9 Ultra is $1199 and it's 14.6 inches. That's pretty pricey for tablets not named Apple iPads. These are extremely pricey for tablets not named iPads. And me being an Android person and someone who actually has had two Galaxy Tab tablets, I, I just can't see spending that kind of money on a portable web browser because 
Android tablets still have the problem that they've always had. There is there's just no development yet for them. Now, maybe that's going to change because Google has come out with its first tablet earlier this year. Um, I don't know if for Google or for let me say for Android users, let me say for Android users. um, There's really. No. I don't want to say not there's really, I'm pretty sure a native app experience, you know, customized to the device will probably always be better than a web version that's customized for everybody that uses that browser. But the way these websites, the way these mobile friendly apps, not mobile friendly, web uh, friendly not web friendly. What's the word I'm looking for? Mobile friendly web browsers mm-hmm. and the websites that work on them. I don't know if there's that much need for a separate app when most of the things we can do that will require like a bigger screen can be done via a web browser. Think about a laptop, right? Yeah, you can download, you know, Adobe Creative Suite. Yeah, you can download, you know, Final Cut and you know, what's the other one? Um, Logic and all these high-end applications mm-hmm. for your laptop. But most people ain't doing that. Most people, most people, we are recording right now through a web browser for the video, right? Mm-hmm. Ain't really, you know, there's, the you know, unless you're a hardcore creative that, you know, you're making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, if not more, creating, you know, designing things on your computer. Most people are on a laptop, same thing with a tablet with a larger screen. Most people are on the web, and I think that's good enough, which is why I say these things are mad expensive, not being an iPad, when you can do most of the stuff through the mobile web browser. Right. And the Plus and the Ultra, they're big. They're as big as laptops. So I I, I don't want to be a hater. There are people who have these devices, and they love them. My wife bought me a new tablet probably two Christmases ago. So, you know, a little over a year and a half ago. And I got it and I played with it. And here was the thing that made me take it back. It still was a mobile browser. I think it was the it was the Galaxy Tab S6 is was the last one that I actually had. And there were things that I would do in websites that because it was a mobile browser, you had to jump through hoops to get it to work right because it would still bring up like the mobile website in most applications that was just fine. But there were some applications like I I use a, for doing like websites design, I use this thing called Divi and Divi. When you go into the builder, it's a WYSIWYG builder but it requires you have a full desktop version of a browser and that app, it worked. You could, you, you could work around it. You could do things to get it to work on, you know, to, to be able to work around it. But if I ever knew that I was going to go somewhere and I needed to actually work on a website when I was not at my house, I would just take my laptop because I didn't have to deal with the issues of trying to figure out how to make it work. And I'm like, Where okay, where you be for that long to where you may think about, oh, I may need to build a website. So it's not about building a website. It's literally there are websites that I have that I run for myself and for other folks that at any time I could get, hey, Rob, can you make this update for me right fast? Or can you do this or can you do that? I'll be back in. My office hours are from nine to five, which I, which, which I understand. But the fact that I am a fairly mobile person, I can be here, I can be there. I'm, you know, I wasn't going to carry my phone and my tablet and my laptop with me. It's like, if I think I need the laptop, the tablet's never going to make it. And the reason for getting the tablet was to not have to carry the full laptop, which was not happening for me. And then as far as I said, other apps, I wasn't really playing games on it. There just were no apps. Like when you, when you go into the app store, These are just phone apps to get blown up or shrunk down. You know, you're just using a phone app in the middle of your screen on a tablet. And it's just not a great experience. Like as much as I love Android, developers just have not come. They have just not created applications specific for 
this hardware to do the things that it can do. And then when I would use an iPad for it, there are some serious applications that I can actually do things. There's, there's applications that I prefer running on an iPad that I, that I would rather run on an iPad as compared to running it on a desktop computer, just because of the touch interface and the ability to do the things that I need to do very quickly and effectively. So to me, the Samsung devices or just Android tablets in general just have not got there yet. We will see if it changes now that Google is actually making a tablet they probably are going to be developers who are going to want to develop for them because there is a tablet out there that Google is putting their stamp of approval on that is their own. But for Samsung, you know, I'm just looking at this Ultra. It's like thing is as is, is big as a laptop. It costs as much as a laptop does. And I can't do all the things that I can do on a laptop. So why not just get a laptop for that same money? That's kind of where I'm stuck when it comes to Android tablets at this point. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So Terrence, this story, I believe you stuck in our rundown and it is about TikTok music. And when I first saw just the title and I just started to think about like my, my not wanting to use TikTok and not actually really doing anything with TikTok, I, was, I just started to poo poo this. But then as I started to think about it, it's like when you think about, and I actually wrote these numbers in here, it's 25% of TikTok users are under the age of 19. 23.4 users of TikTok users are between 20 and 29. And I believe it said that 24% of 15 to 25 year olds in the UK are TikTok users. So that tells me that there's a whole lot of people using TikTok that don't pay for crap yet. They, they have not, they have not aged out of being beneficiaries of their parents and older siblings who have actually gone out and bought Spotify or bought Apple music or, or what have you. So when I think about the number of users that TikTok has. It it is still the number one most trafficked website on earth. They may actually may be able to make some noise in the music space because they're going to capture these demographic of younger folks who are going to be coming into paying for something. So I'm just thinking that the thought could be for them is like, oh, well, I can do this in TikTok. I'm already in TikTok all the time. Let me go ahead and give them some money instead of going over to Spotify, which maybe they don't use or going over to Apple Music, which maybe they don't currently use. And more importantly than just the demographics is how these kids are using TikTok. They are discovering music on TikTok. They are sharing music on TikTok. They are reusing music to add to their TikToks, I guess that's what they call them, over on TikTok. So more important to me, more importantly than just the sheer numbers of people who traffic TikTok, this seems like a perfect storm for TikTok to pull out a subscription-based service. One, for like you mentioned, to get these kids who otherwise wouldn't pay for music would because there are already a bunch of them on TikTok. And two, the main thing these kids are doing is sharing and discovering music on TikTok. So it makes sense for them to say, all right, well, we'll just add a streaming service and you'll get, you'll more likely to flip those free users into paying users because they're already familiar with the service. They just added on this extra thing that they're already used to using. You know, these kids know how to listen to watch music videos. They know how to create content with music in the background. They already are doing that with TikTok. So for them to say, all right, well, $5 or however much 
the service is going to be because right now they're just testing it in like Indonesia and Brazil. They're also testing it in Australia, Mexico, and Singapore. Haven't come to the United States yet, but to me, it seems like a slam dunk because the kids are already using it, not primarily for music. They're using it primarily to create content, but a heavy part of making sure your TikToks are seen and heard is if you're using the trendy things that all the other kids are using mm-hmm. to make their TikToks, which is music for the most part. Yeah. So another thing that I was thinking of, of how this could really be a, you know, a boon for TikTok is that there's so many folks that use this platform. I mean, it's, it's the number one most trafficked website on earth. So many people are using this that I could foresee artists actually changing the way that they potentially create music videos. I could see some artists creating things specifically for TikTok because they know that that's where a lot of their fans are going to be consuming their content. It would be a necessity for them to change because the way we are already starting to watch, I remember back in the day, it was a sin to record video in portrait mode. You know, all the videos Mm -hmm. is like, turn your phone sideways to get it into horizontal mode because that's how we watch videos. We watch them on TV and you don't want to have your video with all these black bars on the left and right because people are watching them on their laptops, which are 16 by nine. They're Mm -hmm. watching them on their TVs at 16 by nine and watching these little videos and like feel like you're in jail you know, watching this person do this video. Nowadays, ain't doing that no more. Everybody's watching playback video, playback, you know, content, portrait mode, because people are watching them on their phones and they don't want to have to be doing this every time they watch a video. They just want to scroll through in portrait mode. So it would be a, almost in my opinion, a requirement that artists, you know, create content if they want to be discovered now. It's one thing if you are, you know, J. Cole or Jay-Z or, you know, uh, somebody that's already got the, you know, the the fans, you put out content however you want to put it out and people are going to find it. But if you're one of these new cats and you're trying to make the most waves and you know everybody's watching on TikTok and you know everybody's watching in portrait mode, you're going to have to adjust your video uh, processes <laughs> to make that happen. Now, it's not here in the United States yet. Uh, and often when you when you think about these big global uh, social media brands, they often do things other places before they bring it here. You know, you know, often the United States is first, but often it is not. And I, I could see this being a hit. I mean, it's in Brazil. I, I want to say Brazil is TikTok's second biggest market. So this this really could be a thing. And. It will it will be interesting because TikTok has a lot of money. They can probably make and they're trying to curry favor with the United States customer base. So we can then in turn uh, put the the put the heat to our congressmen and women in hopes to not ban the app altogether. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) yes, rolling out an app, a TikTok music would do a, a go a long way for the fans who actually use it that could uh possibly stop them from you know banning it all together. Yeah, so th- th- this one will be interesting. It's not going to be interesting for me. I still don't plan on going to TikTok, but I don't I don't necessarily know that that's TikTok's ultimate plan on this to try to get someone who's on Spotify to switch over. I'm not saying that they wouldn't take that, but I think they want to capture their audience that they have and just get them to start watching music videos, get them to start listening to music in an app that they already spend enormous amounts of time in. Well, see, that's the thing though, right? The kids are already doing what you just said. TikTok music as a separate thing or its own entity, just make it easier for them to already do it. Trust me, I got kids, right? They watch TikTok and they listen to music similar to how you used to do it in YouTube, right? They put the full music video or they put the full, you know, they put like a um, slideshow with the lyrics mm-hmm. to the music in YouTube. And all kids are doing was going into YouTube and listening to music. And then YouTube, Google and like was like, oh, light bulb. Let's do YouTube music. Right. Right. <laughs> Same thing with TikTok. 
Yeah. So like I said, I I'm not a fan of TikTok, but this 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 can and potentially you know you know potentially in Canada the same thing. I, th- I think it actually might be a a big boom for them. So I won't be shocked if in a year's time we'll be talking about TikTok music on the show about they just launched in the United States or something like that. Yeah, I won't get it because I'm already in the Apple ecosystem. Uh, so they got my money already. So <laughs> yeah. good luck with uh good luck with these young folks. So. Terrence, this next story here, we we started talking about this. I think we kind of asked a question about, uh, you know, what would happen as far as creators are concerned if the actors go on strike as well as the writers? And now we're there. And, and the questions that we were asking was, well, could this be a boon for for creators? Would you see people I need to go listen to podcasts because I can't watch television. I need to go watch more TikTok videos because I can't watch a movie. I need to go, uh, you know, do all these things because I can't go to the theater. Would you actually see creators get a bump similar to the way that creators got a bump in the pandemic? There was just such a demand for content that podcasts and YouTube channels and TikToks and live streams, all this kind of stuff started to take off. But now that we're in a couple of weeks into this, and it looks like both of these camps, when you when you look at SAG-AFTRA, when you look at the, the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, they are in this. And they're basically going to battle with companies that are run by billionaires. So this potentially could, could you know, this strike could go on for a while. So my question now is, do you think that this is going to, you know, are you going to see a change? where the creators, where the actors and the writers, they actually are becoming the creators. I think the answer to this might be yes, because I think you're going to have a situation now where you've got actors that aren't getting paid. You have writers that aren't getting paid. And when we think of actors and writers, we always think of like the ones who are writing the box office hits, the the Denzels of the world, the, uh, just the big name actors that are making millions of dollars a show. And that's not the case. Most of these folks are regular working class people and they're, they don't have it like that. So if they were able to go create a, you know, a, you know, a my, you know, like a, you know, not, I was going to say MySpace, not a MySpace. They're able to go create a Instagram account and actually go out to advertisers that want to advertise on their Instagram account, just because they've got a such a, such a big following. You're going to see that happen as long as they're doing stuff that's not based off of struck work or, or non-struck work, I should say. So my question to you is that, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Do you see actual actors going out and creating their own podcast, creating their own live streams, creating their own fan base accounts, creating the memberships to where they now are getting paid from their audience directly and not even having to go through the studios that they're you know, in this battle with to just try to make a living wage from right now? Possibly, but they, they have to be careful. Uh, similar to how we were all gung-ho about college athletes pushing for the NIL, the name, image, and likeness deal to where these athletes themselves can go out and court advertisers or brands or anybody that's looking to pay them you know, they can they make money that way, uh, which is great. But the problem is the same problem with college athletics in general. Only the chosen few going to get in out of all the thousands of basketball players with hoop dreams to get to the college level and then get to the pros. What, maybe one, two percent of them are going to get there to where they can make a boatload of money once they make it to the pros. Same thing with NIL deal. Now all these kids have the potential to make money on their own without waiting to get to the pros. But again, those big numbers in NIL deals, while more athletes are getting their opportunity, it still breaks down to about one or two percent. So same thing to convert that to with these actors, with these writers who are currently on strike saying, OK, well, we need, you know, I can't be striking forever because I ain't got it like that in the bank account. Let me go create an Instagram account. Let me go create a TikTok or YouTube. See if I can do it that way. There's no guarantee that you fire all that up and you're going to get this, you know, this windfall of 
followers slash advertisers slash endorsements, right? So you got to pay attention to that. So you got to be real creative if you're going to do it because you name of the game is standing out, right? If you're just like everybody else with a YouTube and a TikTok, you know, are you really out there, right? That's number one. Number two, specifically with this strike, it affects indirectly creators and influencers because not only do, like you mentioned, SAG and and whatever the after, whatever that is, not only are they saying, you know, um, we're not writing content, we're not uh, playing in these TVs and movie shows, right? They can't even partner with some of the brands and advertisers that partner with the Hollywood studios. So that gets into the pocket of the influencers who aren't SAG. They don't, they're not a member of the Writers Guild. They don't have any sort of, um, they're not uh, connected to any sort of, what's the word? What are, what is SAG and what is Teamsters? Unions. Huh? Unions. Unions. Yeah. You've got these influencers out there that are not union, never have any hopes or, from their end, never really have any sort of ambitions or even see a direction to get into TV and acting and writing. They're just like, well, I'm about to get this social media game. You know, they are indirectly uh, affected because the influencers are like, well, I'm going to create this content and I'm going to sidestep Hollywood and go directly to the advertiser. So go to Coca-Cola and Pepsi and, all these big companies that advertise mm. with these movie theaters. Well, if SAG is saying not only are we not writing and we're not p- participating as far as uh, actors, we're not even going after that money either. You know what SAG and uh, after are doing is like, well, talk about scab work, right? If these influencers ever want to be associated with Hollywood, then you, even though you're not protected we're not fighting for you in this strike. If you got hopes to become a movie star or you got hopes to become a writer for a showrunner movie thing, you may not want to pick up that brand deal because if we do find out you picked up that brand deal and you're getting paid by this company, this brand, and that kind of goes against what we're striking against, then you gonna, you you might have to come see us. So well, yeah, so sag after. SAG-AFTRA, which is the Actors Guild, Screen Actors Guild. I don't know what the AFTRA stands for. And then the Writers Guild of America, so WGA. Um, It's already been said that if you are basically picking up contracts that were, you know, stuff that were striking, you know, if it was struck work and you're doing this and then you have any aspiration of being an actor or being a writer at some later point, then good luck to you because that's probably not going to go well. Which um, is messed up because it, the, the, the all those acronyms that you just named for, they ain't fighting for the influencers. They're not no. fighting for the creators in this. So it's kind of messed up. It's like, well, y'all not fi- as a as an influencer, as a creator, you know, that's or as a writer or an actor, you know, looking to pick up a multiple another stream of income by creating this social media, um, you know, uh, the social media uh, influence, right? You're trying to build on that. You know, it's kind of unfair for you to be like, well, you know, we ain't really thinking about influencers right now. But if you're ever thinking about being one of us, then don't don't touch none of that stuff because we'll get you down the road. But we ain't really fighting for you right now. So if you're trying to get some money, good luck. So we figure out this. Strike so here's it's like, well, which, pick one. Which one am I supposed to do? Here's the interesting thing about that. And this was actually in the Washington Post article that I linked for, for the setup of this story is that and this has actually been happening over the last couple of years. But basically, since the pandemic is that you used to see creators that were. Okay, I didn't get the call back. I didn't get, you know, the opportunity to go do this. So, so I'm not even, I'm I'm not even to the point where I can get in SAG. I'm not even to the point where I can get into WGA doing these things. So let me go figure the social media out just so I can eat and, and see if I can eat off of that. And then maybe my name will be out there enough to where somebody will say, Oh, well, this person, they've got 350,000 followers. They look more attractive. 
in that screen, you know, in that screen call when, when they're going to audition for a movie. But what has started to happen since the pandemic is that these creators are making really, really good money. They're, they're making, you know, they're making. Now, we're not talking about all creators. We're talking about just like all actors are not making what the Denzels of the world are making. All creators are not making what the Mr. Beast are making. Clearly, I went to the number one guy on Earth, but, you know, they're, they're not making what he's making. But creators in general that have figured this out and who are that are full time, they're making nice middle income salaries or I shouldn't say salary, but the income that they're creating for themselves is enough for them to sustain themselves. And that's not always the case with being an actor. So you you now have situations to where like some of these are creators are like, so I wasn't really trying to come do what you do anyway. Well, well, um, I wouldn't challenge that a hundred percent, but I will say our, as in humans, our egos, our, there's some vanity that goes into everything, right? It's one thing to be a social media influencer with hundreds of thousands, if not millions of followers. And you like all the things you just mentioned, making a nice salary, you're making a nice income, you get to kind of dictate when and how you work and who you work with, all those shiny things that come with the influencer, right? I would be hard pressed to find a influencer who is doing their thing and Hollywood knocks on the door and it's like, yo, we got this role, yada, 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 but all the social media stuff got to stop or you got to cut out who you work with this, you can't work with this, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do, you may have to pare down what you're doing on social media because we're trying to get you to do this for Hollywood a lot of influencers, and I could be totally wrong, but that vanity of becoming a movie star, you know, that would that that would be a hard decision. Well, let me not say that would be an easier decision than I want to believe. I want to believe the social media influencer making a couple hundred thousand, maybe bringing in gross a million dollars when Hollywood comes to him. And they're like, nah, I'm doing good. Nah, get out of my face. <laughs> don't talk to me. I don't care about what's going on because I'm doing good over here versus I want to believe that. But my gut tells me that some of these influencers are still working just to just to get that call. Once they get that call to go, you know, sit in on a Marvel movie or a Fast and Furious movie or whatever is popping right now, influencers would would take that call. They may even consider paring down their social media. So while all that to say, congrats to the influencers for making their own way, Hollywood still knows that they have some leverage, right? Mm -hmm. So they're, they're testing their leverage right now, you know, as far as financially, you know, is concerned. But once this whole strike thing is over, whatever they deal, they come up with Hollywood's really going to have to, you know, uh, on both sides, the studios and these unions are going to have to really start to pay more attention to these influencers because when they have friction and things have to happen like a strike, like you mentioned, more and more actors, more and more writers are not going to have any choice but to get their influencer game up because they can't sit around and Mm-hmm. Every two and three years be dealing with strikes. Right. And if yeah. that means I got to I got to get kicked out of the union, if that means I got to be called a scab, but y'all really ain't doing nothing for me anyway. It's like yeah. a lot of writers and a lot of actors may just go that route just so they can say I'm the captain of my fate. Right. I'm the, what, how's the phrase go? I'm the master of my fate. I'm the I forget how it goes. But anyway, you know, mm-hmm. a damn a union. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's if y'all not putting money in my pocket and y'all not even working for me as the influencer at the table. How are you going to tell me what work I can and can't do when you ain't fighting for me, you know, in the union or wherever you claim that these Hollywood execs are taking all your money? What's that doing for me? Yeah. <laughs> so they better so be careful. It's it's really going to be interesting because 
one of the things you said when we first started talking about this, it's going to be hard for, and I'm paraphrasing what you said, but it's going to be difficult for an actor to go build a social media following and then to monetize it. The thing is, a lot of them already have it. A lot of them have already started dipping their toe into it. They've, they've already started doing these things. And I think, you know, it's been 63 years since we've last had a strike of both the actors and the writers. So this is not a thing that happens all the time, but I, I remember well when we had the last actor strike or writers. I can't remember which one it was, but the last big strike that we had is when we got all the reality TV because yeah, it was the writer strike, the writer strike. So I personally have I have a personal disdain for reality television. I just can't stand it. Much much of it because it's just like it's just ratchet and it's like that's just that's not me. But it's big business and it was and it, they made so much money side, from. It's a side note. It's not all of it's not the ratchet stuff. The stuff we see on social media is what gets all the clicks and stuff. But most of reality, a lot of reality show is not that ratchet. You know, drama. Mm-hmm. stuff you see right? no it could be building houses and stuff like that right. and those well, shows are immensely popular reality, my reality my disdain for reality tv has really got people out here really thinking what you're seeing on tv is what's really actually happening mm-hmm. and they're not they're failing to realize a heavy amount of production goes into all these reality shows where people are discussing them as in like these are these real life you hear what she said, you know, I can't believe she did that. Well, it's TV, even though it's a reality, mm-hmm. it's still TV. And I'm pretty sure a production crew, you know, sat there and said, all right, you say this and that's going to uh, start this, whatever the case may be. Even in the building stuff, like you're building a home. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people think, oh, now I'm, I'm going to become a flipper now that I've been to. I've seen renovation realities. Right. But you don't see half of the stuff that goes on in getting from point A to point B, you know. So I guess my disdain is not necessarily the the ratchetness of the the stuff that's popular. It's just the idea of it being reality in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Reality TV and real TV are not synonymous with each other. That 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 is that is definitely the case. So it's it's going to be interesting because there are some creators or I should say there are some actors out there there are some writers out there that have these massive uh, social media followings they they're, they're not going to struggle to eat unless they decide that they don't want to in solidarity with the folks who don't have it you know that there's you know some folks are wired that way as well but it's going to be interesting because I'm just thinking it's like if you got 20 million people following you that is an asset if and it is your account that you can control advertisers will want to advertise to your 20 million followers. It's like, there's no new movies out right now. There's no new television shows out right now that we normally would go do. So let me, let me, you know, do this independent deal with you and get in front of your 20 million people. And you tell them about my ramen noodles or whatever, whatever it is that, you know, a advertiser is trying to sell. So it's, it's going to be really interesting. So Terrence, this last story, I just saw this pop up today, but it was something that I believe we talked about, little while back about Black Tech Street, but uh, let let me just go ahead and read this here. So the the title of this was Microsoft Joins Forces with Black Tech Street to Digitally Transform Black Wall Street. So back in 2021, Black Tech Street, an organization whose mission is to rebirth Black Wall Street as a black innovation economy by securing black tech-focused economic and industry development opportunities for the Greenwood community in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So, so those who don't know, Tulsa, Oklahoma, back, I believe it was 1921, it was a thriving black community uh, part of Tulsa. And it basically got firebombed. It was like basically, you know, it was one of the the, the biggest you know, incidents of where America went through and just, you know, you know, destroyed this community. So this organization, Black Tech Street, they have been working since 2021 to try to revitalize this particular area. So they recently actually they announced this today. So folks who are listening to this tomorrow or anytime, this is 31st of July is when this was announced. But Black Tech Street has an unprecedented alliance with Microsoft, who named Black Tech Street the TechSpark Fellow for the state of Oklahoma. The alliance is called the Digital Transformation of Black Wall Street and aims to add 1000 plus cyber professionals in Tulsa 
by 2030. So that's the you know, just over the next seven years, not even seven years, you know, six, six years and so much. So what's really interesting about this is that first is that, you know, Microsoft is playing a big part in this. And this is a play in a bigger game for them that tries to address the gap, you know, that they've identified as 1.6 million cyber professionals in America. Even though all these tech companies have gone through fairly substantial layoffs, and it's kind of slowed up at this point, but with the end of last year and the early part of this year, there are a lot of companies that were laying off a lot of people, but there's still a, an enormous amount of cyber professional positions that just don't go filled. And that's because there aren't people that have the skill set to fill the jobs. And that's one of the things that Microsoft is trying to do. Real quick, go ahead. real quick. It says uh, digital transformation in Black Wall Street aims to add 1,000 plus cyber professionals in Tulsa. So are these relo- uh, relocated users to uh, Tulsa or are these remote workers picking up work from businesses in Tulsa? Because I, I guess I'm trying to get clear on the cyber part. So you know, are they actually bringing them in to live in this Tulsa area or I think w- this particular endeavor is is working towards to try to train a new wave of cyber professionals in this area. Gotcha. So so one of the things that Black Black Tech Street is really trying to do is that we don't want to train them here in Tulsa you get the skill set and then you move away and take that skill set away. We're, we're trying to do this to actually build the community up. We want to build specifically Greenwood back up to the point that we can. So if you think about cyber professionals, they're saying that if they could get a thousand of them, that could be as much as 125 million to $200 million that gets infused per year into this community. That, that, is, that, is, that is not a little bit of money with just a thousand folks. So that's, that's what black tech street is trying to do. They want to build up Tulsa, Oklahoma. They want to build up the Greenwood community. They want to build it back and get it to what it was like back in the very early 1900s. As far as they're concerned, Microsoft is partnering with them because Microsoft is partnering with organizations like this all over the country. They have identified that there are rural areas that just don't have cyber professionals that are in them to to do the jobs that we need to be done as we move into the future. We definitely have talked about on the show many, many times about how when it comes to black and brown people, we basically are just underserved as far as the number of us that go into these roles, the number of us that have made that have these roles are made available to us, the number of us that actually get the training to be able to do these roles. So Microsoft has identified that a couple of things. Number one, we have 1.6 million jobs and we don't have people to fill them. Number two, we understand that when we make our organizations more diverse, they tend to make more money. So let's see here. Can we actually solve two problems with one action? Can we go into an underserved area where we may have poor white working class folks that don't have the skill set where you may have African-Americans, Latinos, indigenous Americans that don't have the skill set, teach them the skill sets to where now they don't have to leave their homes to go do these jobs. We create enough of them in an area that we can turn that area into a tech hub and we can bring the jobs to them because now it is very, very possible to work remotely. Number one, number two, you could actually see companies that decide, well, let's go to, let's go to Greenwood. Let's, let's, let's create an office there because we know we can get the talent to do this. So with this infusion of money that ultimately black text rate is going to get from Microsoft, they're going to be able to start in, in secondary education. So they're going into the high schools and they're teaching curriculum at the high school level. They also are going to the, the local community colleges in Tulsa and teaching the curriculum there. And they literally are trying to take you from you knew nothing about this field to now you have a level of expertise to where you can actually get a relatively high paying job right here in the Tulsa area to ultimately address the problem of that 1.6 million cyber professional doldrum that we need to do something to, to, to satisfy. Hopefully, hopefully uh, Microsoft just uh, requires some um, feedback slash metrics uh, from these organizations that's given out that they're giving all this money to, because what you don't want to see happen is Microsoft 
just throwing money at a problem and saying, oh, we gave X amount of dollars, but the money kind of just disappears. You know, uh, I'm not I don't know. I'm not saying, you know, Black Tech Street is, you know, looking to come up on Microsoft's dime and don't deliver on their promise to train and create and develop these thousand plus black cyber professionals. But I mean, capitalism and greed, you know, so, you add that up and I could see how a company be like, all right, well, we bought the Microsoft and these big tech companies have been getting hammered because they're not creating these pipelines for these underserved communities. So companies in a, in a goodwill gesture will give, you know, a hundred million, 200 million, however much it is, which is merely a drop in the bucket for them, but really don't require any sort of, all right, we've given you where we set up, we did all this infrastructure. We've went into these schools. We've donated all these money for facilities, for equipment, for supplies. What's the feedback? What's the metric? So what's the goal? What's the number? What's the dollar amount? You know, I can see that. I can, I can visualize, not saying this particular scenario, but I'm pretty sure it's happened before to where these big tech companies are just looking to look good and they give all this money that kind of disappears and it really doesn't get back to the ultimate goal or the mission or the vision is to train in a thousand black cyber professionals. So hopefully so, that's not the case. But so let, let, let me say this as far as Microsoft is concerned. And I've been doing this and you have too, which is why you said what you just said. You've been doing this long enough to see how these things, you said you were going to do these things, but this is actually what it really was at the end of it. That being said, this is Black Tech Street is partnering with Microsoft. Microsoft is partnering with them. Microsoft has the Microsoft TechSpark program. As I said, this is something that they're not just looking to do in black communities. They're looking to do this in rural America. I mean, there's they, they've got stuff going you know, on in Wisconsin. They've got stuff going on in Iowa. They've got stuff going on in Appalachia. They, they're, they're doing stuff in a lot of different places because they, they say we need 1.6 million new people to be able to do these jobs of tomorrow. So Microsoft has all kinds of metrics that they're that they're working on. They're providing all kinds of curriculum that are going to be used in these schools. And they do have checks and balances. Now, once again, I'm not going to speak on whether or not the checks and balances are actually being checked and actually being balanced. I don't know that. I would want to see the act the after action report to see. I want to see here's what you did as compared to me telling me what you what you probably are going to do. I'm I'm more wired like that with you, Terrence. But it does seem like this is something that Microsoft is doing all across the United States with all different types of organizations. And this one just happens to be with Black Tech Streak in the Greenwood area of Tulsa. So I'm hoping that this this works out, because as I said before, if they get a thousand cybersecurity professionals that are actively working right there in the Tulsa area, that's one hundred twenty five to two hundred million dollars in salaries that you've injected into that by just one program. And Microsoft is doing these kind of programs all over the, you know, all over the country. You know, it, you know, clearly, I don't think that Microsoft is trying to solve this problem on their own. There are other companies or other industries who also know that we have 1.6 million people who we need to fill seats that we don't have, tra- you know, people enough people trained to actually go out and do. So they're not working on this alone, but this needs to happen 16,000 more times in order for that number to be that number to not be an issue for where we are in the country. So like I said, I don't know what the ultimate result of this is going to be, but I am interested in the fact that, Oh, wow. Black tech street, something that I think we talked about them before on the show back, maybe in our first year. And then Microsoft is, is partnering with them in a way that they can actually theoretically go in and make some real change. So I want to come back to it in six months, a year, 18 months and see how are things going how are you progressing towards that 1,000 cyber professionals in the Tulsa area? That, that'll be really interesting to see if this is working. So, Mr. Gaines, I'm looking at the clock. We are right at the top of the hour. And I think it's time to go ahead and wrap it up. We did not have any new patrons. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. This week for the second week in a row. So once again, I will say that in order to, you know, if you if you would like to support the tech, John, and help us bring the tech news to you the way that we bring it to you. You can head over to patreon.com forward slash the tech shot. And any one of those tiers over there goes a long way to help support what we do as far as bringing this tech news to you. So once again, it's patreon.com forward slash the tech shot. So with that, Mr. Gaines, why don't you tell folks how they can get at you? Sure. You can find me all over the internet at Brother Tech. That's B-R-O-T-H-A-T-E-C-H. And I am at Rob Dunwood on all the things. And we are also at The Tech John, The Tech J-A-W-N on all the things. So come holla at us however you holla. Till we meet again in a week's time. Peace. Peace.